Good morning, beloved. Episode 40. We made it to 40. Goodness, where's my drink? I got to have my mountain water. I talk so much I get parched. Good morning. Good to see everyone back. So, I was talking to Overton as we were getting ready for the show here, um, and, and he was telling me that a lot of you were talking about, uh, of course, the what took place uh, at the Christian school yesterday. We have to be careful with our words, don't we? Uh, and uh, a lot of folks are somewhat critical, uh, again, of the response. That's the most important thing in the world. It is not the most important thing to, in the world. First off, no one is holding a gun to these people's head to take this job. I think it's commonly understood that there are inherent risks with this job, um, and those risks, you have to kind of assume those and expect those if you're going to put on the uniform. This morning, uh, about an hour ago, I watched the, the body camera, watched the battery, battery camera. Now, I am not a high-speed operator by any chance, but I have had probably tenfold the training that the majority of these police officers have had. Now, as someone that's just a normal civilian that takes serious my job or the responsibility that I take upon myself when I decide to conceal carry, I make it my habit to shoot regularly, uh, to understand my equipment, to understand basic tactics, and to train accordingly, spending my own time and my own money to acquire and maintain these skills. Now, this is just something that I do as a non-law uh, law officer or professional because I think it just co makes common sense. So when I watched the, the footage of, the, of the, what was going on and the ineptitude and the lack of understanding and the delaying and the cowardly, the, cow, the, the cowardice of, of some of these officers, all, it does is to, all that does is just to reaffirm to me what I already know. And I want to I wake you guys up, and you need to, to, to wake up to the fact that law enforcement is not, uh, they're not the professionals that you may think that they are. You, they're, they're not there to protect and to serve like you think they may be. I think by and large, of course, not all, by and large, most of them and many of them are just there for a paycheck. And I know that to be a fact because I know of people that have tremendous, unique skills that have combat education or have learned their skills in combat, who have run training schools and have offered their services free. Because just like me, you know, they grew up with back the blue. You know, these are the good guys, right? And when they came back and they had a special skill set, they offered them to police departments for free of charge, giving his own time to help them with basic tactics, what they learned in the hard knock school of, of battle and combat. Do you know what he found? he found that no one was interested. No one wanted to give up their weekends to receive this free training that would have helped them to be better officers in their career. So what does that tell us? It tells us that men and women that are, are there for a paycheck and they don't have any interest in you. And when they're, what, here, so here we keep them. We pay them these, these very generous salaries take care of all of their problems, qualified immunity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We do this, we support these people, which are a tremendous drain upon the systems and a burden upon us that are out paying taxes and working with an expectation that in an event 
where we need them. When we call 911, when our children are in danger, that there's going to be competent professional people that know their business, that know their job, that know the tools of their trade, that they can go in and, and hopefully do some good. And what do we see time and time again when they're called upon to do the job that they have volunteered to do, that they have signed up to do, that they should know how to do? We see ineptitude. They don't even know how to load their firearms. They don't understand basic tactics. Watching, even me with my limited understanding, watching them try to clear stairways, watching them try to clear rooms, it was like the Keystone Cops. You know, beloved, it's, you have to take, you're going to have to take responsibility for your own safety in these coming days. You're going to have to make provisions uh, to protect yourself and your own. You cannot ac account on these people. They're not what you think they are. There, are may, there may be exceptions. There are exceptions, obviously. There are going to be people, people that take their jobs seriously, but by and large, it's, it's just not happening. And it's such an insult when you know how much we pay these men and women to do this job and what they do, where they spend their time. Are they out fighting crime? Are they out stopping criminals? No. They're, be, they're, being, they're essentially parasites on the good law-abiding citizens by sitting in uh, speed traps, uh, enforcing unlawful, unconstitutional mandates, which they swore to uphold, you know, they took an oath to, to uphold the Constitution. And yet, who is it that stands by as Portland burned? Who is it that gleefully and very excitedly, enthusiastically shut down restaurants for COVID violations and mask violations? You know, and now they're complaining, oh, you know, we're not getting any support from anyone. No one, you know, no, no one wants to be cops anymore. No, you know, how, pe people are, are reviling us and challenging us. They don't show us the respect that they once did. Well, you've earned it. You've made your bed. Now you get to lay in it. You are obviously a mercenary. And then we also see that the, when the Supreme Court, they ruled that the police officers have no obligation to protect you whatsoever. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing this nonsense about officer safety. I don't care about officer safety. The reason this, the worst thing that they're doing, it's going to put more officer is in risk than anything else, is this attitude, this adversarial attitude, this gang attitude. It's us against them. It is building a resentment. There is a seething resentment under, in society right now among people whose eyes are open and watch the way you've behaved and the, watch your cowardice that, we, that you're not going to be safe. I'm not, no, I'm not advocating violence. I don't think we, anyone should ever hurt anyone. And if you have to defend yourself, you have to do what you have to do. But we're not, we're not about violence here. Again, our, our struggle is not, is not, it's not our struggle. That's not our calling. But there are elements say, of, the, of the population um, that are actively, they're going to do something about it. And, and it's just inevitable. Um, it's not getting any better. It's not getting, you're not, you're not taking accountability. And it's, when we see these shootings, when we see these things take place and we watch how you react and you, like Overton was saying just before I started this live stream, there was officers that didn't even understand how to, to ready their, their weapons. I mean, it's, just, it's at 80, 100, $150,000 a year, these salaries, they don't have, they, they have all the freedom that they need to, to practice. They have their own ranges. You would think 
that they would have a basic understanding of the tools of their trade. They would not even have a basic understanding, but they would be beyond proficient. Because the likelihood of them pushing, needing to put this into service, whether it be an AR or their service uh, weapon, uh, is, is high. They should be very proficient of their driving, and yet they're constantly crashing and killing people uh, with, in vehicle chases, unnecessarily in many, many times in my case, or in, in many cases. I don't know what the solution is, but the way that things are laid out and the way it's going is it, it, just not working. And, and I'm definitely like, just, just, to see, just to see this and to see the ineptitude is, is beyond, beyond frustrating. You're going to have to rely upon yourself no one's going to come to save you. Are, have we not seen this yet? Are we not understanding this? No one's going to save, come to save you. They'll show up uh, to uh, throw you in a cage, or they'll show up to levy a fine upon you when the coast is clear and there isn't much danger. But when it comes down to it, by the time they get to your place, it's already over. You need to take matters into your own hands. There's a lot of rules, there's a lot of things that are going to prevent people from doing what they need to do, but I would say that PROHO needs to take a hard look about, you need to do what you think is right. So your work area, your workplace has bans or restrictions. Well, you know what, it may be a time for some civil deep disobedience from time to time. It needs, it, you need to take matters into your own hands. I just uploaded a short, you know, whether that be getting into body armor, etc. Things are changing and no one's going to come to save you. So. Enough of my rant. So one thing that we've been working on, and I would like to get you guys' input on, is we've been working with the folks up over there in North Carolina with Premier, Ar Premier? Premier Body Armor. Premier Body Armor. And they have uh, proposed something that I thought was quite interesting, and I would like to get your take and your advice on it. They uh, have offered, what do you have need of? Now, Body Armor, for me, is... Our needs as PROHO is very different than what the needs are going to be of, of someone that is in a frontline combat unit, right? We don't have the ability, nor do we want to wear big bulky things. Uh, we need something that is ultra, ultra light. Now they, they talk about slick and there's a lot of low profile carriers and such, but none of that is low profile enough. This might be an opportunity for us as a group here of some of the smartest people on the internet to come up with a solution that would be very advantageous. I'm going to set up a call with them since they offered to do this, to do a custom product or something that would really work for us. I have enlisted the trust, the brain trust of the middlemen, and we have kind of put our heads together and come up with an idea that I kind of wanted to share with you. And I would like to have your input in the comment section. And the middlemen will be watching this. So if you see something that is uh, that you'd like to add to this or subtract to it, it's quite a simple concept, but shout out to the middlemen for coming up to it. When I talked with Overton yesterday and I said, what would, what would you like to see? What would actually be useful that would be, the, what, what do you need? And what everyone is talking about, we need something that's super, super, very, very thin, very, very light, beyond minimalistic, something that you could fold up that would be no bigger than about a laptop that you could stuff into a, uh, a briefcase, that you could stuff into a messenger's bag that is multi-purpose so that we could use it into many different locations. Maybe we could take it and put it into a sleeve of a laptop. Maybe we could take it and put it into an insert of a backpack. Maybe we could even have it so flexible that it's able to be mounted or hung on the back of a car seat or draped over to give protection from something like that, to be something that is one, affordable, 
ultra, ultra lightweight, ultra, ultra packable and stowable, and something that you can wear with your ordinary clothing. You know, those, those are some of the ideas that we were kind of throwing around. Like th these are the, this is the dream list of what we want. And when we looked around, it doesn't, it doesn't exist, or I haven't seen it before. Nothing is slim enough, nothing is thin enough. Now, I think it's unreasonable and unrealistic for Proho to be packing around rifle plates. The technology, or if it's available, I don't know about it, but the technology currently to stop rifle is, is gonna be something like this. About an inch thick, two, two and a half pounds per, if you're talking front and back, it's gonna be closer to five pounds. It's got the curve in it. It's not super comfortable. Uh, it's definitely not very packable when you try to stack two of these together. And it's just, it's just, it's too much. You probably have these. A lot of guys have these. We have them set aside, you know, as our, in our modern Minutemen kit. But is this realistic to take to the workplace? Is this realistic to, to, to try to convince your wife to slip this into her shoulder bag? You know, we know it's not. As much as it's just not, it's just the technology's not there. However, if we were to take something maybe like, maybe like this, or maybe like this, right? Or somewhere in the middle. What if we had, here's our idea. What if we took this shape? This is a standard shape. The, I think they call it a sappy, sappy design. This is designed to fit in almost all of the plate carriers that are gonna be available that you already have. So if we want something designed that's gonna be as usable as possible, I think that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I think that this shape, there's been so much research done that this is basically what has bubbled up to the top as being the ideal shape for, I mean, everything's a compromise, but this is what's being used. So I think we don't need to try to invent something else. Let's go with this shape. But we want this shape, but we want something that's actually lightweight and usable. What if we had this shape, but with this form factor, this material? Now, is it gonna be rifle protection? It's not, but it's gonna stop most shotgun and, and, and handgun calibers, which really is the main threat for us. You know, we're not law enforcement. We're not gonna be called upon to be running into a school uh, therefore, our, you know, our, our needs are very different. This is realistic, how thin and lightweight it is. Would you be willing to pack or would you be able to handle something like this if it was ultra, ultra light that you could throw on under any clothing uh, immediately? I, I know I would and the middlemen agreed as well. So what I'm going to propose to Premier, and again, give me your ideas. I'm going to hear me out here, kind of what it is, is this panel this lightweight Kevlar panel in basically in this shape. It's gonna be soft, it's gonna be thin, it's gonna be flexible, and it's gonna be worn with the absolute minimal uh, material. That material would be, we're gonna leave this up to the smart people at Premier to come up with this if they want to, to pick up this thread and, and, and run with it. Because I think it would be a big help uh, and something that I would absolutely love to have as well as the middlemen agreed. What if there was just a simple two inch strap of some sort of a comfortable material that connected the two. Imagine a sandwich board, right? Where you just have it, you, you put it over, it's very thin, the straps are very thin, they're, they're soft, they're flexible, maybe even some sort of a material 
like uh, Magpul uses on their MS1 slings, which is a tubular webbing, but very soft and very comfortable, very, very nice, gentle on the skin. So you have that, it's Velcroed on there, or in, in some ways so you don't have any hard points or any hard hardware where you can adjust it. You know, if you've got a, if you're a big dude with a 48 inch chest, you can adjust it out, or you're a petite woman, you know, that's small, you know, a size four, that you could tighten that up and use the same thing. That's, it would need to be universal like that, but you can, you could, you know, it's just, all it is is two straps, nothing more than that. And then finish it off with a single cummerbund, a cummerbund that wraps around the waist, again, that's adjustable. So you have essentially an armor plate carrier that is the, the slickest of all slick, that is, you're not adding maybe just a few ounces of weight to these already super thin, super light panels. It's flexible, it's comfortable, it's gonna be very cool because it's gonna, there's not any material or anything, just the straps, and I think it would work perfectly. So something like that, would you use that? Give me sevens in the comment if you think that that's a good concept, that that's something that, if it were affordable, let's say around, let's say around $300 or so, you can get the whole thing. Modern, lightweight, portable, and then when you don't want it, those straps would simply, I mean just, I think you can picture it, those straps would simply just fold inside, you could grab these, look, that's going to be how thick it is right there, you know, very, very light. You could take these things, you shove it into a laptop sleeve, you hang it on the back of a seat, you put it into the back of a book bag, whatever, you have options. You're not just, you're not shelling out $1,000 for, for a plate carrier that's going to sit in a gear bag that you're never going to use until it's time to break the glass, right? So just, just some ideas, and let me know in the comments if that's something that you would, uh, you would use. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and that was, uh, you can thank the middlemen for that. I, I was thinking on the same line, but they kind of picked it up and, and took it to the next level. Okay, goodness, I've got, let me get, get, open up my stream here, and we'll jump in and get started. Yep, I'm seeing sevens. You know, Jason, I don't, you know, I heard a lot about the dragon skin uh, years ago, and I, I heard that, uh, I, I don't know, I don't think that ever panned out. I, I don't know what the deal was. I, I'm not up on it, but I haven't seen it around. I, I would imagine if that was the latest, greatest, or the best stuff, you would see that on uh, YouTube videos and such, and I have not seen any of that. All right, let us jump into the Super Chats. We have, boy, we're stacking up here. We have a brand new member, Mr. Thomas W. Hertzler. Shout out to you, Thomas. Welcome, I'm glad to have you here. Welcome, welcome. We have a Super Chat from Mr. Or, uh, new member, Dave Anderson. Welcome, Dave, glad to see you here as well. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of sevens in the chat there. Yeah, if you have, uh, if you have some insight you know, write it up there what you'd like to see in that or a particular material or if you're involved in industrial design and you can add to this conversation. I would like to have as much data as possible before I, I um, jump on a call with them uh, so that we can kind of explain that. But I think that that's the principle. I think it's a really, really solid and sound. It's just, a, it's just how to figure, how to enact it how to do it. I don't want to add bulk. We have to be very careful with that. You know, we don't want to add material and stuff. We want to keep this absolutely as light and as thin as possible. And we have a new member, or, or we have a super chat from Mr. Ethan Haymore. Welcome, Ethan. Glad to have you here. Ethan writes, opinion on single dads and reasons for it. 
single dads. I, I don't know uh, opinions. I don't know opinions. It, single dads happen. Um, I guess the thing, first thing that comes to mind is, is I reject the notion that uh, the, if a judge needs to decide... And unfortunately, the default position now in many family court situations is there's this, there's this understanding or this false belief that the children are better off with the mother. I disagree with that. I don't think that's the case at all. And it seems that there's a great bias towards men uh, in the family court. It doesn't seem. There is. The statistics are out there to prove it. There's a great bias towards the fathers, and almost always the children go with the mother. You know, I don't think that this is right whatsoever. I, I think that, that sometimes yes, sometimes no, but not to just automatically default to that. What are the statistics? Who makes up the majority of folks that are in the prisons, federal and state, as we said yesterday? Products, boys, men that come from single mother homes. Women, bless them, I, it's a tough job for them as well. You know, I get after them from time to time, but I know there's a lot of hardworking single mothers out there. But also, there's a lot of them that have destroyed their own homes through promiscuity or hypergamy or whatever it may be, or just making the decision, the selfish decision, that when their biological clock runs out, that they need to go out and get themselves knocked up because they know that it's their last chance. So purely selfishness. Without considering the repercussions of the boys and the girls that are going to be raised without a father in the home. I, I, I have a problem with that. I think, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think kids would be better off with their fathers. There's uh, that, um, the discipline, uh, the respect, especially for boys. Also for girls as well. Look at these girls that are out there, almost all of them, to a one, that, have, that are out in the streets, promiscuous, with the face tattoos, with, with huge body counts, with daddy issues. All of those come from from these poor girls that were, don't, don't have access to their father because of their mother's selfishness or their mother uh, just decided not to have a man in the house, with, without, that, with, without having a male in the home to teach them at a young age what, what men are like and, what, how, uh, and, and how, how, um, how they should be treated, and what their expectations would be when they grow up in a single mother home. All they're hearing is, all they're hearing is that uh, men are bastards and men are no good, and, and constant string of chads coming through if their mother is promiscuous that way. What do you think their opinion of men is going to be? You know, they've never had a role model. They've never seen a good one, and so they assume the they, they assume the ideas and the, and the position that their their mother took. And they've never been around. And they go out there and they're seeking that attention that they didn't get as a child. They're seeking it and they're trying to fill a hole in their life. And there are a lot of bad men that will take advantage of that. Uh, and, and that's the way it goes. So I would, you know, as far as my take on single fathers, I think single fathers as a whole are in a better position to be, raised, to be single parents than, than mothers are. Um, and we're starting to see that. That's not my opinion. That's just what the facts are bearing out. It's sad that, uh, that the court systems, the court systems are not in there, are not set up to do the right thing. Did you know that judges and family court, they receive a percentage of child support? That there is an incentive to them uh, to award child support because it, 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 some of that ends up back in their pockets? It's one of the biggest corruptest scams in the entire world, if you look into it. It's absolutely shameful.
Shout out to the single fathers. That's a tough road. road. It's, a single, it's tough for everyone. That's why you should fight tooth and nail to keep your marriage together. And that decision on who you choose to marry and the mate that you choose is going to be the single most important decision next to your God and your faith uh, that a person can make. Shout out to you, Ethan. Good question. We have a new member, Genghis Chan. Shout out to you, Genghis. Welcome. And a member message from Don Doden. John's been with us for a month. Appreciate having you here. Shout out to you. He says, he asks, what do you think about panhandlers, beggars? Did Jesus tell us to give to them, or is that enabling? Panhandlers and beggars. Growing up in Portland, I'm, I, I am very sympathetic to that. Or I, I, I mean, I can appreciate that because I grew up with that. And that's, there's something that, it, it's a very difficult thing. It's, it's not so much now that, that there's so many, grif- so many grifters and so many people manipulating and taking advantage of the situation. But I remember when I first started seeing panhandlers standing at the, at the ends, uh, at the stoplights of like uh, exits off of major highways where you have to stop and you stop the light and they stand right there and they walk up and down. We've all seen them before. And it's a very difficult thing. Just your human nature and huma- your humanity wants to reach out and to help them, especially, I noticed, if they're female. And I have, I struggle with that, and I did struggle with that every time I'd see it, you know. Sometimes I would give them a few bucks. Sometimes I would just try to ignore them. Because how do you know? You know, how how do you know? But in the early days, I used to give more often. Well, when I moved, uh, when I moved back from Colorado, I moved to a small apartment in Portland, and right on the east side, and right from my window where I did my work, I could see there was an off-ramp that ended at a streetlight right there that was a really popular place, a common place for panhandlers to come and hold signs. And I watched them, and I watched how they operated over a year or so, and what surprised me was it was very coordinated. And what really surprised me is that they didn't even bother to have a, their own custom sign. They would take these cardboard signs and they would write, you know, their, their, their hard luck story on there. And they did regular shift changes on the clock. And one person would be there in the morning shift and then someone else would come and they would do a shift change and they would use the same sign sometimes or they would have a variety. They would rotate two, two, or, two or three and every day the same ones over and over and over again. When I saw that, uh, then I was not near as forthcoming uh, with being generous towards these people. I, people, I realized that this was a, a business. This was a, a grift that people were doing. At that same time, when I was watching this, Mrs. W. told me a story that she was at, um, she lived uh, over in the Hawthorne District in Portland, and there was one of those, um, it was a grocery store that was kind of a hoity-toity grocery store, like a New Seasons, that sort of thing. And then there was uh, just a regular one, like a, I don't know what it was, a Thriftway or something to that effect. She, there was a guy with a sign outside uh, of the hoity-toity one and uh, was, was basically saying, I'm hungry, I want some food. And she was going in there for something, and she said, um, I'll buy you some food. What, 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 come on in. I'm going through here anyway. We'll get you something to eat. Well, as they were going in there, um, uh, she recommended something, but he only 
uh, only wanted like organic uh, and very expensive, you know, all this high end food, you know, it ended up, you know, it, it was it was ridiculous. Like he had standards. Uh, he was uh, he was he had the audacity uh, to not just be content with something that what ordinary people would eat, but he had standards and everything had to be organic. And then he capped it all off with when she was talking to him on the way out, uh, saying something about, um, yeah, I I'm trying to get money up to go to a music festival. <laughs> you know, you know? But he was portraying himself as being truly in need and hungry outside of, the, outside of this um, grocery store. So those are two examples, right, of, of, of where you see people manipulating our feelings, manipulating those that have, live in a high-trust society uh, that maybe aren't the best people to donate to. Now, I also remember years ago that I was in a little town of Lake Oswego. I was doing uh, working uh, construction over there, and we used to go to uh, this uh, little sandwich shop, or I don't remember what it was, uh, for lunch. And I remember one time, I'll never forget this, it absolutely broke my heart. There was a young boy that came in, obviously dirty, he looked like he was homeless, maybe, maybe 13, 12 or 13 or so, just pitiful, pitiful. And he came in really sheepishly and he went over to the condiment section and he was taking handfuls of ketchup. You know, and I, I was looking at that and, and I saw it, and, and then he ran out, right? Well, we saw him on the way out, kind of around the corner, and he was leaning against, you know, kind of crouched down, sitting, leaning against the brick wall, and he was eating the ketchup in these ketchup packets. That was, that was what he had to eat for, for lunch. That was all that he had. Obviously, he looked like he was homeless to me. Now, that's a very different situation, isn't it? So, when it comes to that, you know, what did Jesus teach? What does the good book teach us about what is our obligations of people, people of the book, people of the way, uh, to look after those who are in need? Well, the kind of way I look at it is we have a responsibility. The good book tells us you need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The resources that God has provided for us, you know, our number one obligation is to take care of our family take care of our family first. It doesn't behoove us to go out and to spend not only our time ministering to, to those in the world if we're neglecting our family. How many stories have you heard? How many, you know, the, the, the kind of the meme of the PK, of the pastor's kid, is usually the one that tends to go off the rails. Very rebellious, and, you know, that's a common thing. It's a very common thing, and I wonder why, if the case for that is not because the pastor is co so consumed with his flock and trying to take care of, of, of all of the, the unwashed washed masses that he could dedicate his time and resources and neglect his very own home. And the rebellion of his children are often a cry for help or a cry for attention because he overlooks his responsibilities at home. So there's that as well. So my default position is we need to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves, meaning that we need to do our due diligence when it comes to who it is that we give to, to make sure that it's going to be going to a good cause, a worthy cause. Just because we can't just say, well, I just throw the money out there and, and it's, I, I did my part. I have no obligation to vet it. I have no obligation to see if this is going to be used for a good cause. I don't think that that's the case. Once your family's taken care of and they have what they need, then if you have some excess, 
And, you know, and, and there's even more than that sometimes. You know, C.S. Lewis said something to me in one of his books that really, really rocked me. And, and I still struggle with it today that kind of speaks to this. He said, you need to be giving, as a Christian, you need to be giving alms. You know, first off, we have an obligation. I think that a person, a follower of the book, should give 10% of your income to you decide. It, traditionally, it's been to give to the church. Mrs. W. and I have done that for nearly 20 years. Everything that we make, 10% of that right off the top, goes has always went to the church. Now, we're not involved with an organized religion anymore, So, but we still keep that tithe separate. She keeps the 10% out of everything that we make, and we direct it now as we see fit. Usually it's in the local community. We, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this. I don't, I'm not, I don't talk about this to, to get up on a soapbox or brag. I'm just telling you what is expected of us, and I'm telling you how we do it to help you, you know, just some ideas. You know, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to do. But just giving, I'm not willing just to give blindly to the church if I don't know where that's going. Is it going to pay for an elaborate building? Is it going to pay for an elaborate lifestyle of a pastor? You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not down with that. That's not, it's not a good use of God's money. I think it's better off to go in your local community. So what we basically have a standing order, and there's a lot of generous people in this area. There's a, some key women that really help a lot, that are, have an ear to the ground of who's in need, who, has, who, who, who needs uh, a car, who needs uh, roof repaired? Who needs firewood? And keeping it in the community is what we've decided to do as much as possible. We've even, you know, went outside and we've helped subscribers with different things. And I'm not going to get into details. I'm never going to name names or talk about it all. But we've been known to do that as well. But one thing that's important if you're going to do that in your community is you'd never want to, to do it to trumpet your what you do publicly. Because it's not... It's, it's not, there's no charity in that, in, in that making someone feel like they're beholden to you because you have helped them out of a cause or they owe you something. And even if you do it with the best of intentions, if they know, if, if someone needs to take charity from someone that has more in the community, I think it should be done 100% anonymously so that they never know where it came from. That way they're never uncomfortable or feel that like they're in a, an inferior position to someone else. So if you're going to do that, do it through a third party. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's you know, some of the old saints in the church. You know, they know who has need of. But if you can kind of cut out the middlemen that may or may not manage that money properly, I think it's best for it to go directly to the source, to the widow, to the family whose husband has gotten injured on the job, is not able to work, and they're in threat of losing their home. You know, ask about these things, inquire about these things, and do it through a third party. What C.S. Lewis said, so even with that, with a 10%, you know, 10, most of us can, can, can do the 10% without it pinching terribly. C.S. Lewis said, well, that's just, the, that's just what's required. That's the standard. But he goes, the true test of faith, what God really likes to see, is when you start giving not out of your excess, but out of your need. He said, if your giving of tithes and alms is not at times, time to time putting a pinch on you, 
or making you squirm a little bit or making you uh, feel a little bit uncomfortable as to how things are going to get paid, um, you may not be giving enough. You know, when I read that, I thought, you know, you can see, you can think, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job and everything's, you know, I, I'm, I'm following the mandates and I'm following the rules. You know, we, our, our default is to, is to go into the legalism. I do this and then God does this for me. You know, <laughs> you know it's like a pay to play type of thing. Well, just because you gave 10% doesn't mean that you are an outstanding individual. You're just being, you're just doing what you've been told to do. We have an obligation to take care of the lesser in our community. Uh, and sometimes that needs to go uh, beyond that. What's the lesson about the widow's might, remember? You know, if this doesn't really solidify what Mr. C.S. Lewis said, Christ himself said it. I'll tell the story again, the widow's might. Of the rich men, the wealthy man standing in line as they're going into the temple, dropping their generous coin into the money box. And that poor little widow with one penny trying to hide, ashamed that she didn't have a great amount to give like these grand men that were making a big spectacle of themselves. And Jesus is watching, and the disciples are watching, and he says, do you see that woman right there? I tell you the truth. And as she approached, you know, she, I like to think, you know, she tries to, to hide what, uh, what she put in there, you know, because it was such an insignificant amount to some of the other people that were ahead of her. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. But, what she, but she was giving all she had. You know, we've seen that before. Have you not seen that in the offering plate? Have you not participated in the offering plate? I, I have been known to do that when the offering plate comes and you didn't make provisions to have some cash on hand. I haven't done it intentionally, but there have been times when, I, when the offering plate comes and I'm like, oh, goodness, you know, I, I, I've got like a dollar or two dollars. You know, I, I, didn't, I don't, didn't always carry cash back then. And you, uh, the plate comes and you try to, you know, kind of cover it with your hand. <laughs> so no one's to see what, how little you're giving. I mean, we've, I think we've all been there and done that before, right? You try to make it up later. But, you know, that's, that's, a, that's human nature. You can just picture the scene of this, of this woman. But what Christ said was so important, he says to his disciples, do you, says, do you see right there? Do you see that woman? I tell you the truth. She has given more in that one penny she dropped into the offering than all of these others before and after her. Because what she gave was out of her need and what they gave was out of their excess. So that's the example. You know, that's the example. So to answer your question, there's a long roundabout way of going, or going about it. Uh, it depends. You need, to be, you need to do your due diligence and you just make sure that you know that your money is going to a good cause as good as possible. You can't always know that. There are always going to be people that take advantage and lie. Um, but that's not your responsibility. You, but you do have a responsibility to do a little bit of homework on it. That's, that's the way that I look at it. Very good question. Very good question, John. John. We have a super chat. Or remember, a yeah, super chat from Mr. Ethan Haymore. Shout out to you, Ethan. Ethan writes, opinion on stay-at-home dads and reasons for it. I get into, I, I'm going to get into trouble with this. Uh, but I'll say it anyway. I'm not. Uh, there's a, there's a. We need some. We need a little bit more truth and honesty in the, in this world and on this platform than we're getting. So, I'm here to. Uh, I'm here to to spear, spearhead that. I'm against it. If if it's a, a stay-at-home dad, if it's a decision. You will lose the respect of your woman. That's it. It's the way that it is. Women. Don't like to date down. Men will date down. 
A man, a millionaire, will see a good, a cute Hooters girl and take her out and marry her, no problem. It happens all the time. Women, not so much. Respect is very important. There's been a hierarchy that has been established, established by the Almighty. God created the man first, and he created the woman to be a helpmate to the man. He's given man authority and headship and leadership of the family. Now, I'm talking about a decision, a conscious decision. All things being equal, the man saying, well, I could go to work or you could go to work. How about I just stay home and you go to work? That's what I'm talking about. I am. What I'm not talking about is situations where the man does not have the ability to do it got injured at work, a prolonged sickness, who knows, whatever it could be, where he's not able to do this, and the good woman steps up to go out into the workforce and to provide for the family, that's something that is, that is entirely appropriate, and, and a woman like that is, is it, it, that's a good woman uh, to do that. There was a situation growing up where my mom had to do that, where my dad was, was so injured that he was unable to work for a time, and she had to go out and provide for the family, or we would have went hungry. And she got up and she did that. And that was entirely appropriate. But my dad was able to, once he was able to get himself sorted out and healed, of course, he went back and, and picked up the mantle of his responsibility, provider of his family. So my take on that is respect of your woman is very important. And by staying at home and right or wrong, it's not, we're not interchangeable, beloved. We have unique roles that have been bestowed upon us and given to us by our Creator. You need to have a leader, and the man has been designed and ordained to be priest of his household and leader. So in a perfect situation, when all things are, or if, if you have the option and you're not out on an injury, or if it's just a decision, I think it's a wrong decision. Are there exceptions? Maybe. I, I would not be comfortable with it. I would, not, I would, not, I would never do that. The only way I would do that is if I had no opportunity. You would have to, I would have to be so down and out that I would, this wouldn't be possible for me to work before I wouldn't drag my carcass out and do what I had to do to provide for my family. But I have no doubt that in a situation, just like we had, you know, I was almost a month recovering from that surgery. Mrs. W, you know, I tried to do what I could. I went out even, I couldn't do a lot, but I tried to keep making content and keep things going the best I could, but she picked up the slack for me. And that was entirely appropriate. So that's the way I feel about it, you know, and, but that's, my, that's one man's opinion. So that doesn't, I mean, you're asking my opinion, and that's what I give. I have a right to, to have my belief structure. I have a right to have my opinion on things, and I have a right to share it. I built this channel, and I built this, this platform, um, and so you don't have to agree with it. But you're here asking my opinion, and, and I'm just giving my opinion. We have a super chat from Marty's Outdoor Adventure. Good to see you back. Marty's been with us for a month now. Shout out to Marty. Marty says, good afternoon from Pennsylvania. I had a good experience in Pennsylvania. Hope you received my Jesus Name movie trailer through email. Also, opinion on ladder brand, I love little giants. On ladder brands, I'm not a painter. I don't know that I have a lot of opinions on, on ladders. Yes, I did get that, and I made note of it. And uh, I'll be looking into that this weekend. I don't, I'm not qualified to speak on ladder brands. Um, my personal experience with it, fun fact with ladders, do you, do you know why firefighters, why a lot of firefighters per, still use and prefer 
wooden ladders over modern-day aluminum ladders? Not all, but, but many. Do you know why? Does anyone know in the comments? Well, I know. I'll share it with you. A wooden ladder, if it's uh, leaned up against a three, four-story building and there's a lot of heat radiating out of windows, when it's compromised, it is obvious because it's on fire, right? You'll know it's, it's structurally compromised when your ladder is on fire and you're standing up there and you look down and you think, oh, my ladder's on fire. I think I'll get off this ladder. An aluminum ladder, not so. Aluminum ladder is there sucking up the heat, weakening, and then at the worst possible moment, completely unbeknownst to you, will buckle and drop and kill you. That's the reason why. Kind of interesting. I mean, it's a very low-tech solution, but a very effective solution what's, what, what, com completely. I have, uh, I've, I've had to make a decision buying ladders. I think all Proho should have, you should have two ladders. You should have actually three ladders. The first ladder that you start with when you're setting up, when Proho was setting up a shop or home is about a, a three to four foot step ladder. Just a basic one with you know three, three treads or so, little fold out for your paint bucket, something that you can access an eight foot ceiling with. That's where you start with. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. If you want to get a cheap one, you can find wood ones at garage sales all the time. Uh, a little bit better, a little bit more rigid is going to be um, aluminum. Fiberglass is not necessary for Proho. It's one, it's very heavy, and it's twice the price. Uh, so if you want the best, you can get fiberglass, but it does have drawbacks. But that's where I would start. That's going to give you the ability to access your ceiling. You'll be able to change light bulbs. You'll be able to um, paint your ceiling. You'll be able to you know, repair things. Usually a four-foot stepladder is the good entry point. Once you have that set up, the next obvious stepladder for Proho is going to be a six-foot. Six foot is going to give you more capabilities, and that's really what you're going to start using outside and for all sorts of things. I mean, when I just think of the ladders that I use all the time, uh, that's, what, that's my go-to. Once you have those two, a four foot and a six foot step ladder, then you're going to want an extension ladder. Aluminum or fiberglass. Again, these ladders are expensive and they're very big and they're hard to move. And the fiberglass ladders are super, super expensive, but a lot more rigid. Uh, a lot more durable. So if you're a painting contractor or you're professional, you're going to see those guys on fiberglass ladders. They're just superior in that way. But the cost is significantly more, and they're very, very heavy. Difficult to move around. Prohose usually doesn't have the money to hire contractors, and he's out doing stuff on his own. And that means usually moving his ladder on his own, so you're better off to go with aluminum one. It's going to be half the cost, and it's going to be a whole lot easier to use. A 20-foot extension ladder, which will ultimately go up to 38 or so, is very handy because it, if you separate them, now you have two ladders. And two ladders are very handy, especially if you have kids and you can separate them. You can move them a lot easier and then put them together when you get to your destination. They're very, very versatile. You can use them for a lot of different things. And that's going to give you the ability to get up on your roof. Get up on your roof to do repairs, to shovel snow, to clean out your gutters. You need to have a good extension ladder. So regarding brands, I can't, I can't get into that. I don't know. You know, the best ones are going to be found at, if you want to find who makes the best, go to your paint store. Professionals are buying ladders there, and they demand the best. And if they, whatever brand they carry is typically going to be a, a high-quality item. So that's my take on ladders, my limited understanding. Um, that's kind of what, what, why I look at it. But good question. I don't know about little giant brands specifically, so I can't speak to it. 
We have a super chat from our friend Kyle B. Kyle's been with us a year now. Shout out to you, Kyle. Welcome. He writes, uh, I would love to see a plate carrier chest rig disguised as a backpack. When the action happens, you zip off and tear off the bag and expose your rig. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I'm trying to imagine that, how that would tear off. Why would you tear it off at all? Why wouldn't you just leave it on you if, you, if, if the body armor is already in place? Disguise it. When you, the action happens, you zip off or tear off the bag and expose your rig. That a backpack is fine, but that doesn't give us, that doesn't solve the problem of, of a front solution. And I don't see why you, why you would need to take the backpack off. Now, with a backpack, you know, with the, even with these panels here, of course it's going to be an option to wear it on the front. Like, let's say, let's say you're in a situation like, and this happened, this happened last year. Remember the last um, event that we had? where the brave police uh, were handcuffing parents that were willing to go in and rescue their own children. Do you remember that? Don't forget that. Never forget how they reacted, how they did that, and then they lied about it. Protect and to serve. But let's say you're, you were in that situation, right? Your child is in there, and you have the means and the ability to go in and do something about it, to meet violence with violence. You have... Watch this video, you made the investment and you bought a single panel and you have it in the backpack, in your car for your everyday carry, whatever it is. Of course, it would be a good option if you're going to meet violence with violence. Do you want that panel on your back? You know, if you're gonna go in there, if you're a mother bear or you're a motivated father, uh, you're not going to be retreating, you're gonna be advancing. So obviously you could turn that around to the front, right? and empty the contents apart from just what you need. So it's not bulky, it's not keeping you, slowing you down or anything, but that's what I would do. I would have that thing flipped around and I would be wearing it on the front as an impromptu plate carrier. I'm just saying, just saying. I think the backpack is a good option. The backpack, all of that has already been done. Now I haven't seen the tearaway and I might be missing your point exactly how that would look but I don't know why you would need to tear it. Yeah, I, maybe. I guess maybe if you just didn't, didn't want the bulk and such, it's, it's possible. Uh, the best thing to do if you're serious about that would be to sketch something up uh, and send it over to me, email it to me, and we'll take a look at it. There's no reason why we have to stop with just one design. Maybe we, maybe we can uh, submit two designs. It's a good idea, though. We have a super chat from Mr. Jerry... Gentry, he's been with us for a month. Shout out to you, Jerry. Welcome. Jerry says, as long as it passes the fizz test and I don't want to leave it at home, more than not. Yeah, and that's, that's the most important thing. Again, I got to reiterate this. It doesn't do us any good to have the high speed. I mean, let's be honest, gentlemen. We're not packing this. We're not packing this in our day in, day out, right? And can you... Do you have a, a, a do you have a, a crystal ball when you wake up in the morning and you're making your decision over what your EDC should be? Are you uh, can can you predict what you're going to have need of that day? You know, it's not realistic. So, the best way to be prepared is to be have it in your regular rotation. This is the part of my EDC. I mean, most of us carry some sort of a bag, a briefcase, 
sling, black, sling bag, backpack, something like that. Adding that to our daily lifestyle is not going to be a burden. It's something that we could all adopt. And it's got to be fat, high speed, and it's got to be lightweight. And also, I think it's important that it's not, as cool as the pressure garment is, the pressure shirt is, the garment with the sewn-in thing, and I think that that's a very viable option as well. But even with that, you have to wear a specific garment or article of clothing uh, to make that functional. And what a lot of people, what I'm hearing a lot of people are saying is that I, I, I need something to work with the clothing that I wear. I, I choose to wear particular things because that's what I like. And I don't necessarily want to wear that. And what if, what if you live in a place that's really hot? You know, and you don't necessarily, you, you're not in a position where you need it. I mean, are you going to now get to work where, the, where you're not really under any threat? Uh, you know, wear that all day, or do you want something that you could take take off without completely disrobing? That's so light and so thin that snap, snap, you know, snaps are just two Velcro points really quickly, folds up, slide it right into your briefcase, and you're done. And even then, it's still usable. You know, is a shirt or a plate carry usable outside when it's not on you? You know, now you could you could hold up the bag, the backpack, you could wear it, even though you're not wearing the armor, it's still in the sleeve. Maybe it's in the laptop sleeve, that sort of thing. It still can be slung on the back. It still can be worn to the front. You know, you get the idea. You, you see where we're going. I think it's a completely, I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's something that needs to happen. But yeah, you're right, Jerry. That's the number one thing. It doesn't matter how good it is, how high speed it is, how well it's made. If it's not handy, if it's not handy, then it's not of any value whatsoever. It's just another accessory that sits at home. Uh, that we, will not be accessible when we need it. We have a super chat from the Trumpet Guy, 723. Shout out to you, the Trumpet Guy. Trumpet Guy says, do you have a recommendation for a Bible translation of any good practices for reading the Bible? I hate to keep repeating myself uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, but I, I do extend some grace because we have new folks that are joining us all the time and every day, and so they're not, they're not hearing this. So a lot of these things that I say I'll have to repeat. I, I think a, a really a good resource I would recommend for you, we'll start with this, uh, to help you to get, into, to get through all 66 books, uh, to give you some perspective and give you some accountability, is to jump on to the free app, D-A-B, the Daily Audio Bible. The Daily Audio Bible. Jump into that. It's free and follow along. Brian, the guy that runs it, I forget his last name, has a plan where you go through all 66 books, including the Psalms, in one year. And he alternates between translations. So you're going to get, if you get a, just get yourself a good basic translation, something conservative. I would say a good one to start with would be the New King James or the New American Standard Bible. Those are the two I would recommend. Get, get one of those, one or both, and then jump onto the Daily Audio Bible and, and jump into that and start reading along with it. Read it yourself before you listen, and then listen. You can listen on the way to the work, on, on, to work. But what Brian does that's really cool is that he switches each episode. He reads from a different translation, and he tells you, today we're reading from the King James Version. Today we're reading from the NIV. Today we're reading from the Message, whatever that may be. And you'll really get uh, a good insight as to which style you like. And also, at the end of it, he does a very good job, without being condescending or preachy, of kind of explaining in a very simple way 
the context in the big picture of what you just read and just heard. And all those are archived as well. If you want to, if, you, if you're like, oh, yeah, yeah I don't necessarily want it, to, it's July, I don't want to jump in right in the middle, but you entirely, you can. And, and I kind of always preferred that. I always, I always kind of preferred rather than going back to the archive, which always, I mean, it's not, but it feels stale to me. I like the excitement knowing of waiting. I remember when I used to go through that with him, with Brian, I would get up early and I would keep checking the app and checking my phone has the new episode dropped, you know, has the new one dropped. And the moment I saw that, it was always a little bit of a thrill, excitement. Oh, it's, you know, he just dropped it and, and I get to go follow along and hear what he has to say. And, and, and that's, that's kind of cool as well. So that's not a problem as well. And just commit to the year and you'll get through it. But that's what I would do. I would get conservative translation, New American Standard, King James, New King James Version, not the old one. And, uh, and then uh, jump on to the Daily Audio Bible. A great, great resource. Brian does a good job over there. I'd love to do a, I'd love to do a, um, a collaboration with him. So if you know Brian, maybe you could put that together. Never met him, but uh, he's doing good work over there. We have a very generous super chat from our friend and brand new member, Build It Nation. Shout out to you. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good to see you here. Build It Nation is single and 47. Never found a suitable woman here in the West looking at traveling outside the West to find a wife. What are your thoughts on an age gap relationship? I still have thoughts on being a father. Well, that's the beautiful thing about being a man. At 47, 40, 40, 45, 47, 50, you, that's when a man enters his prime, when all things, all things being considered. If you've taken care of yourself, you know, I'm, I'm 53, so I'm, I mean, I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the range. But I, if you've taken care of yourself and, you, and you, you're still, you still have the ability to do anything you want to do, really physically, for the most part, um, you have a lot of wisdom, a lot of life experience. You're at your peak earning the time of your life where you are probably most likely established with a home that you are in a position to provide a, a fabulous life for a wife and your children. The wisdom, the steadfastness, just the calmness that comes from age uh, is something that, you, that, that a 20, 30 year old just doesn't have. Now, you have that, and also not only that, is that we're not limited by a biological clock either. We are completely capable of having families 50, 60, even up to 70s. You know, that, that's just one of, the one of the cruel tricks of nature, but that's just the way that it is. Where a woman enters at, I think it's 32, enters into geriatric pregnancy. You know, they become downy factories at 35. You know, not that it's not possible, but the risk of having children with a woman in geriatric pregnancy age is something that, that I would not be willing to take on, not willing to consider. Would you? So... It's just, a cruel, it's just a cruel trick of nature. I mean, it's the way it is, that women get everything up front at the beginning, at 16, 17, 18, you know, that, well, they, all, of, all of that. You know, they have everything at the very beginning. And then when they hit the wall in their 30s or, you know, whatever, they can extend a little bit. But usually 32, 35, it's pretty much the end of the road for fertility uh, in families, at least not high risk. So... With that being said, you're 46, 47, and you want children, 
you don't, you're not, you don't, you're not having children with anyone that's over the age of 32, right? So age gap uh, is not important to me. If, if, if uh, two consenting adults are willing to get together, and I don't care if, I don't care the age of the girl, as long as she's of legal age, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not getting into teenagers or anything like that, but if, you know, if a woman is in her mid-20s or so uh, and understands the situation, understands uh, and wants to, to be married to a man uh, of wisdom uh, that can help uh, to guide her in good decisions, that is a good provider, uh, that wants to have a family and such, then that's what, that's what you need to get. I mean, that's really your only option if you want, TV, if you want to have children. You need to give your children the best possible start uh, in, a, in a very difficult life. And, and choosing women that are going to have a high probability uh, of Down syndrome and birth defects and complications, not to mention the, the incredible expense that you're going to have to shell out uh, if you go into in vitro. And that's going to be required with these older women and such. It's just the reality of it. So it's going to be unpopular with your family. It's going to be unpopular with your friends, not near as much as it used to be. There's, there was always this notion that we need to be dating and marrying people the same age. That's, not, not, that's nonsense. That's, not, that, that's a Western thing, a relatively recent thing. But as everyone's fond of telling us, you know, women have the right to, act, you know, they have the right to make their own decisions. They're strong and independent, and they can do what they want. So I don't want to hear any shaming language of a 20-year age disparity between a man and a younger woman because he wants to have a viable family and healthy children. Don't pay any attention to what they say. Usually the complaints and the whining and carrying on is going to come from post-wall women because they seethe and cope. They get so angry to see the men that are established like ourselves, that are super high value, that, are, that have the wisdom, that have the resources to, do, to, to fulfill all of their dreams dating down to younger women. There's a lot of reasons for that. Not to mention, you get a woman that's close to your age. Let's say you even go someone in the in 40s or so. The number, if she's went been, she's probably has multiple kids from multiple marriages. She's got tremendous baggage. She has um, uh, is going to be not wanting to. She's already done everything and experienced everything. She's not going to be wanting to. Uh, uh, go out and experience new things. You know, I mean, it's it's just there's just there's just so little benefit of a man trying to hook up with someone of that age if you want children in a family, and they're going to shame you because they do not like to see the men that they're hoping to be able to latch onto that's going to save them in their post wall days. You know, that last hail mary. They do not like to see them being taken up and by um, by younger women who they can't compete with and they will shame you, uh, and they will criticize you, and they'll call you all manners of pedophile and everything else, but I wouldn't pay any attention to that. Again, I'm not talking about crazy stuff, I'm not preying upon young women, but if you want viable your own children from this union, then it needs to be you know, something before 30, really. Um, that's, that's just the cold, hard facts of it. So don't you do what you need to do. I mean, everyone's consenting here. No one's taking advantage of anyone. It's very clear what's going on. This is not an uncommon thing. We have a super chat from the Gypsy Jeeper. And member for one, for, for one month. Welcome. The Gypsy Jeeper 
40 live streams. That's pretty good. Yes, yeah, pretty good. We had a little bit of a hiccup, but we are up and running again. He says, keep it up and keep looking, good, looking up. Look forward to the day we no longer have to deal with evil, but it's not our reality right now. Excellent coverage on this topic. Yeah, and you're right, Gypsy. What we have to remember is that we are behind enemy, la enemy, enemy lines, beloved. God did, did not design us to function in this terrible world of sin. That's why we, it's hard to get peace. That's why it's hard. That's why you don't feel like you belong. That's why you feel like everything's wrong and, it's, and that what's the point of living? It's, we've never intended to live this way. And we have to just endure but a short time, a short time. Uh, and we are on the winning side. Stay close to your Father. Pray without ceasing and just look for His soon coming. Because tomorrow's not promised to any of us, you know. I've heard the Navy SEALs talk about how difficult it is to get through the buds training. And the most demoralizing thing is when you project into the future, when you're suffering and everything, you just don't think you can go on. And when you start thinking about this going on for weeks or months, it just, it takes everything out of you. It, it, you just don't, you can't even imagine how you could possibly uh, endure it. What I hear time and time again from men that have been in that situation that made it through you just looked to the next moment. You just told yourself, if I can just make it to lunch, if I can just make it to breakfast, if I can just make it to dinner, I can, I, that's all that I have. I heard, I heard one guy say that through the whole thing, he told him he wanted to quit. Everything in his body was telling him he wanted to quit. And how he got through it is he said, well, I'm going to quit tomorrow. I'm going to get through today, and I'm going to go to sleep, and I'll, and I'll quit tomorrow. And then when he woke up, he told himself the same thing. Well, I'm going to get through breakfast. I'm going to get through lunch. I'm going to get through this next whatever it is. I'm going to quit tomorrow. And he did that all through buds, and he ended up becoming a Navy SEAL. And that's really you know, the one day at the time. I know it's a tired old Christian trope, but it really is what, what it's at. Do you have what you need right now? Are you hungry, or is there something to eat? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have a car? Do you have a job? Well, Maybe it's not ideal, but no, I'm not out in the cold. I'm not going hungry. And even though I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, like I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, I trust God to know that he, has, he knows what I have need of before I ask. And I have what I need right here, right now, and for me that's enough. We have a super chat from our friend Mr. Dean Pickett. Dean's with, been with us for a year. Shout out to Dean. Dean says, hi, Cody, do you have any opinions on the product EMP Shield? Do you think it would be worth exploring? Thank you. I don't know what it is, Dean. I don't know what it is. Now, one update to those of you who watched the video. So the little, um, the Go Dark bags, I, I forget what the company is that I carry. The little EMP bags that I have been featuring for phones and such. Well, when I did the radio test uh, and the radio signal went through, some of you saw that. Uh, the manufacturer reached out to me and said, actually, we've had those laboratory tested, and to the best of our knowledge, that they would protect electronics in, they would be proper shielding in an EMP. So I don't know what that is, but that's what he said, just so data point. I don't know, Dean. Um, EMP shield. Can you send me uh, a link to that of what you're referring to or any video that you've watched? I'll take a look at it. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in that sort of thing as well, so I'd be like to see it. But I, I can't speak on it. I don't even know what it is. We have a, uh, a new member. No, 
two years. Daniel, shout out to Derek. Shout out to Daniel Erickson for being a member. Welcome. Well, maybe you rejoined us. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. And Jarhead Heathen, a super chat. Welcome, Jarhead. We like our Jarheads here. We have a super chat from Jarhead. He writes, North Carolina man here. Well, you know that North Carolina, you know, North Carolina man is continuing to impress me. If you're just joining us, there are two states outside of real West Coast states that, have, that, I've, that I've bestowed with West Coast status. First was Vermont. Second is North Carolina. Three, I think it's three of the middlemen, I believe, are from our North Carolina men. And not only that, that our folks over at Premier, Audio, Premier, Premier Body Armor are also from North Carolina, and they're good people as well. So you guys continue to redeem yourself uh, and just confirm that I did indeed make a good decision when I allowed you into the fold. So, and Jarhead Heathen, he's, he's, we have, he's from North Carolina as well. So you are officially a West Coast man. So come forward and receive your, 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 uh, <laughs> your reward. He writes, thank you for guiding me to Christ. I go to church regularly and getting baptized Easter. My son is almost seven. What skills should I start teaching him? He is getting homeschooled next year. Man, Jarhead Heathen, you are killing it. You are winning. Not only are you from North Carolina, but you've surrendered your heart to the Lord. You're homeschooling, and you're raising your son and taking accountability and responsibility for it. It is like the trifecta of victory right there. I am very, very proud of you. Give him your time patiently. One of my regrets, when I think back on it, when I was when Jack was seven, and, you know, and I might be put, I might be making a bigger bigger issue of it than it was, but you know, of course, we're always going to have to have regrets. But I, I, I want to, I, I mean, I want to get this a point to, across to you so that you can learn from, like, when I think back, this is what I would have done a little bit differently. When Jack and I last week we jumped on the motorcycles. He's 18 now, my son. And that's the th one thing that we've enjoyed doing together is riding our motors together. We have the helmets with the comms in them. And we went on a long ride and we ended up going right by the old homestead. Now, I, this is where I raised my son from the time he was just little. And so many memories as we, we, we stopped right there and there was no one home, so we didn't, you know, we didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable, the folks that lived there. But there wasn't anyone home, so we'd stop there for a moment and just talked about memories and pointed to remember when we used to, when you were just little and we, how we used to come down there and race the quads around the tree in the mud track. And we went down there and looked, look, remember when we built that bridge together and Jack's tree house was there and we talked about that and, and doing those things. And then uh, went over to the, looked at the orchard and all the time that we had spent every summer, Mrs. W and Jack when he was little and, and planting the trees and, and doing all of those things and all of the great memories. It was very emotional, uh, I think, for both of us uh, to see that um, and just be talking about those things. I remember a lot of things that we did together 
but I also remember that I thought that the work was so important. You know, I was worried about providing for my family and having, uh, like just the orchard, for example. It was, it, I, was so, I was so focused on it and, and uh, developing the land and clearing the forest where many times, many times where I could have went and got my son and said, hey, let's go out and work here. I, I didn't because I thought that I needed to, to, to be productive, that I needed to be as efficient as possible and get the maximum work done. And to be honest, it was I could get more work done out there with my chainsaw by myself than worrying about my seven-year-old, eight-year-old son, which is kind of a liability. And you know, and, and having to cater to him and take care of him um, gets in the way, uh, got in the way of my work, and that's the way I looked at it. Now I spent a lot of time with Jack in doing those things, but I separated the two. I separated the time that I need to go out there and actually get work done versus the time that I set aside where I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed and, and this is more of a teaching moment. If I had that to do over again, you know, now, as I, so, as I sat there and I looked at that orchard and I looked at the bridges and I looked at all the forest and all of the massive effort that I put in and how important it was to me, and it was everything, and I just focused on it, and I have to get this done, I have to get this done, now in the big picture, it doesn't even belong to me anymore. So how important was that orchard after all? How important was that bridge over the stream? How important was it to clear and to limb up all those fir trees that was consumed me, that that was the most important thing in life? And now it's not important at all, it means nothing. Would the time, would it have been better to realize that nothing is permanent? and life changes and the only thing that really matters is the relationship and, and training up our children. If I could go back, you know, it's just, it's shocking to sit here and to say that, how slowly we learn our lessons. I heard from you guys when Jack was seven, remember, enjoy these times. Those of you guys that were 10, 15, 20 years ahead of me, they go by so fast. Pretty soon you wake up and, and your son is 18 and he's got a car and he doesn't have time for his dad anymore. His times go by so fast and you get one chance at it, one crack at it. If I had to give you advice, I'm not good. I don't need to tell you what, need, what skills you need to learn and teach him. That's not important. The only thing that's important is just bring him along in what you're doing. Show him, be patient with him and don't have any expectations and realize that none of this matters. This home remodel, putting the shop up, whatever is the most important thing. Well, is it? How important is it if seven years you decide to move to a different place? It's not. And yet you didn't involve your son because you thought you needed to get all this work done. So that's just speaking from experience. And also, be patient. Be patient. Patience is hard for me because I felt so, so much pressure to get everything done and, and get everything get accomplishment, accomplished that it took away a lot of the joy of the actual work. That's the advice I would give. Thank you, Jarhead. Jarhead Heathen, you're winning. You might want to change your name. We have a super chat from Alan, or we have a new member, Alan R. Welcome, Alan. Alan, and also, Resting bro face, that's funny. 
<laughs> that's a clever, bro, resting bro face. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty clever name. That's one of the better ones I've heard in a while. Shout out to you two, welcome. Man, I, 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 uh, I do have a members only video in the can. I mentioned it yesterday. I set it to upload and then I forgot about it and then it, it timed out, something didn't work and then I tried to re-upload it again and I came, I'll get it up for you today. It's, it's in the can. So a new members only video will be up, Lord willing, today. We have a very generous super chat from Faust Restoration, $50. Thank you, Faust. Goodness, that's very generous of you. We really, really appreciate that. He writes, hey, Cody, longtime fan. I have been working on slick, flexible armor, as you described, for a couple years. I have prototypes, if interested. Keep up the great work. I am very interested. Yeah. If you could, I don't want to steal your design, uh, first off with that. If you've got something that you're trying to produce, uh, that you've put work and time into, I don't want to rip that off. That's not at all. If you're offering this uh, to the community so that we can take it to Premiere so that we all benefit from it, then uh, that, that, that would be cool. Uh, but no, there's not a requirement for it. So if you want me just to take a look at what you've come up, you know, I'll keep it, I'll be discreet. You know, try not to, to, to <laughs> steal your good ideas, but um, uh, I would like to see it. Uh, email Cody at RanklerStar.com if you could send me some ideas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Faust. Faust Restoration. I'm actually quite excited to see what you've come up with. I haven't been thinking on it that long. You know, I've, we've talked about it a little bit yesterday with Overton and the Middlemen, and we're, this is just kind of uh, the first initial concept that we came up with. I would imagine, just like anything, there will be multiple itera iterations. Um, but it's a simple design. A simple concept, I don't think it's going to be very difficult to, to overcome. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how the folks at Premiere, if that's something that they want to do anyway. We don't, we don't know. But they, they offered, so if they offered, we'll, we'll take them up on that. We have a super chat from Paleo52. Welcome. Welcome, Paleo. Paleo writes, let's talk online ammo sales. There are some deals online these days for 5.56 and 9mm. The wolf is at the door. You should have the minimum 5,000 rounds for your main fighting rifle. Yes. Yeah, we, we can talk about that a little bit. So I think that there, there's two things going on here. You know, kind of, I, when, I, when I started to kind of consolidate everything and get serious about this and like, okay, these are tools that I need to have uh, and what, what are going to be the best, what would be the best choices to make for calibers, carbines, rifles, you know, they're, they're going to be the most effective, you know, that I can manage properly. So I had a lot of hodgepodge things, you know, I had Beretta and I had SIG and I had um, Taurus and Ruger and, and all these different, you know, Hamgen different things. And I, and I, what I decided was, okay, I'm going to distill it down to four calibers. I think, I think it's four, four or five four or five calibers that Proho should have. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you should probably fall in this category somewhat. So starting with the smallest, you need to have 22, 22 long rifle. Now, I think the best option is going to be the Ruger 10-22. The Ruger 10-22 is, is a very reliable, excellent, affordable, small rifle um, that would be super, super effective. How many rounds? 
Well, 22 is not as cheap as it used to be, but reasonably affordable. I would be looking at about five to 10,000 rounds. You know, I probably have over 50. Maybe I probably have over 100, actually, a 22. 22 is going to be great for hunting, small game. It's reasonably quiet, somewhat, doesn't carry too far. Uh, you can carry a tremendous amount of ammunition because of the size of it, and just a great survival caliber, proven. And, you know, people say, well, that's not a defensive caliber. Well, why don't you go bare-chested, go run up on someone with a, a 10-22 and a 20-round magazine? You going to do that? You tell me it's not, not effective? I'm not doing that. More, more people are killed and injured by 22 than any other caliber in the country last time I checked. It's certainly a viable option. So that should be in your arsenal. Ruger 10-22 and 5,000, 10,000 rounds of ammunition. After that, go with a, a handgun platform and, and be consistent. Make your choice. It's probably going to come down to the best option is either going to be Glock. Glock's going to be the best option or perhaps SIG, one of those two, in 9mm. If you're a 45 guy and you have to have that, then you go with that too. That's fine. But one or the other. It's going to be it's the most ubiquitous cartridge. It's going to be the one that's most readily available. If you were to beg, borrow a steel from a neighbor, they're most likely going to have that caliber. It's going to be the most common. Avoid exotics. 40, not so good, but the 9mm would be the, uh, uh, the, of choice. The reason for staying across, you know, choosing one particular brand is it's going to be able, especially with the Glocks, you're going to be able to interchange parts. You're going to be able to interchange firing pins, magazines. Your holsters are all going to be the same. You'll be able to go from a 26 to a 19 to a 17, sharing a lot of the same components. That's really important, especially when it comes to holsters. You want, and, and just being familiar with it. Do you want to have complexity of battery of arms across multiple platforms in a stressful situation? If you've just shot on a flat range and never been tested, or got your heart rate up, or put, had stress put on you, you'll be surprised how quickly your abilities uh, diminish and how confusing the situation gets. So if you are going between you know, P320 uh, and that battery of arms versus um, a 1911 or a Glock and you're, you know, you're going back and forth and, and you haven't shot for some time and maybe it's been a while since you've been to the range and you're in the middle of the night and someone's in your room, are you able to work through that? Are you able to have your wits about you to understand the different nuances and where's the magazine, et cetera, et cetera? You see where I'm going with that? Whereas if we're going to keep it simple, I ditched all the other stuff and strictly went with 9mm Glock. All of them are the same. The trigger reset, the battery of arms, the magazine, the slide lock, the magazine release. All of it's the same. Grip angle, etc. right? Holsters. So that's what I would look at. Now, if you have family guns, and I have family guns as well that are important. Granddad's hunting rifle, my dad's Colts, you know, that sort of thing. That's completely a different thing. You know, those, those are, that's a, I'm not talking about that. The 22, Ruger 10-22, the Glocks, 19. If you're just going to get one 19X, is about as good as you can get. After that, you need to have a good 12-gauge shotgun. Best bang for the buck is going to be either like the Mossberg, I think it's the 500, 
I don't know, I'm not a Mossberg guy. I'm going to go with a Remington 870s. I've got multiples of those. And, and I, anything from, I've got them from um, uh, non-lethal uh, to the police models uh, with slugs and buck um, to the longer hunting versions for geese and ducks, birdshot, etc. There's, there's very few uh, firearms that are going to be more versatile than that. Uh, than, than an 870. 870 is going to be pump action, tons of accessories, proven in combat, just reliable, and just an all-around great option. Affordable, um, easy to use, easy to work on, been around forever, uh, just a great, great option. Super, super versatile. Even if you go something with a 16-inch barrel that's more defensive, a, a defensive type of weapon, you still have a lot of options. You can shoot slugs, which are going to take down most game in North America. Uh, you're going to have the ability to, uh, for buckshot, um, which is, is a devastating um, personal defense round. You're going to have the option for non-lethal, if that's something you have need of. You can load whatever you want to in those things. Very versatile. Also, the bird shots. You'll be able to, uh, for small game, um, you know, anything like that, you, you'll be able to do some light hunting. Uh, with that sort of thing. So very, very versatile. And also the 12-gauge shells are going to be found in most any home. It's going to be very, very um, common and, and, and still relatively affordable. Downside, you know, they're, they're very hungry, hard to feed, you know, and limited range, different things. We all understand that. But that's something would be number three would be want to, you'd want that in Proho's arsenal. Ruger 10-22. 9mm and 870. After that, obviously, 5.56 AR or AK platform. 5.56, 7.62, you choose. So it comes down to personal choice. 5.56 is for me. Uh, that's what I like. That's going to be your main home defender right there. America's rifle, America's right hand. That's the one you're really going to focus on. That's the one that needs to be no compromise, good optic. I would, I would say for most people, if I could, I'm just going to say what I would do. If I had to say, if I had, if I had someone said, okay, you can choose an AR, but you only get one. And this may be what you enter into the apocalypse with, or this, this, this may be the only thing that is standing between your family and its next meal or its sovereignty uh, by, because of attacks or whatever. What would I choose? I would choose something with a 14.5 barrel with a pin suppressor to make, flash tire to make it legal, still reasonably portable, good range, and I would put either an ACOG, a 4X ACOG, or an LCAN, LCAN Spectre on it. Those are expensive optics. A, a, or LCAN's gonna cost you 2,000, ACOG's gonna cost you, if you, you know, better part of 1,000 with the mount. But that magnified optic is very important. You know, what you see, you know, the ACOG, for example, is still relevant. A lot of people on YouTube have been talking for years or asking the question, is the ACOG still relevant, right? But the funny thing that happens whenever we see soldiers that are involved in these conflicts from 
Iraq to Afghanistan to Ukraine, what is it that they're begging for? Send us ACOGs. Send us ACOGs. Simple, tough, lightweight, uh, excellent glass, uh, very versatile. So a 14.5 AR from a reputable brand, I would only buy LMT. This is my personal choices. LMT or equivalent, Knights, Daniel Defense, Bravo Company, those have been big. LWRC, I think I've heard that those are super nice as well. I don't have any experience with them, but a reputable brand. No, no Frankenstein nonsense, something that you can really rely upon and trust. This is really your bread and butter. Like I, I'd strip all the others away for, for, for this. I'd have a very good optic on it. I'd have an Elcan Spectre. It's going to be your one to four or one to six, but I'd go with the one to four. That four power is really sweet. My granddad was the best marksman I ever knew, and he was the most, he was one of the best hunters I ever knew. And he hunted with a four power scope almost his entire life. And this is not hunting like in the, in the forest. This is hunting Eastern Oregon where it's open, open, big, long shots, 400, 500, 600 yards even sometimes. And granddad hunted with a four power, you know, so it's completely possible because that's also that platform with that magnification is also going to be a viable option for hunting as well. Once I had that established, then my last and final would be an appropriate hunting rifle caliber, i.e. designated marksman type, type of thing, right? Something with a 10 power scope or a variable three to nine or any combination of that. What calibers? Stick with the common calibers. The number one, if I could just have one, I'd probably go for the 308. 308. After that, it'd be five, you know, there's a lot of options. 308, five, um, I'm sorry, 308, 6.5 Creedmoor. That's, I think we can all agree that that's here to stay. That's what I, that's what I built on. Um, if I couldn't have those two, I would look at um, 300 Winchester, uh, maybe even 30-06, maybe even 7-millimeter Remington Magnum. You know, anything outside of that is really, you know, is not necessary for hunting and for game. That's going to be primarily something that you, if you do a long shot uh, for hunting or taking down game, any one of those calibers is going to be sufficient. Even 270 Winchester would be just fine. 260 Remington. There's a lot of good calibers out there, but pick the common ones. Your most common is going to be your 308, 30-06, 300 Win Mag, uh, more exotic, maybe 6.5 Creedmoor, 7-millimeter Remington. Um, you know, you, you get the idea. But that's, that's where I would hang my hat. That's what I would, if I was building an arsenal, that's where I would start. Probably start with 5.56, a good AR platform or an AK. Uh, then a 22, 10.22 Ruger, um, Glock or Glocks, um, 8.70 shotgun or equivalent, you choose, and you would be in, in good shape. I'd cover pretty much all situations. We have a super chat from our friend, the Soviet tanker and brand new member, just joined us. Welcome, Soviet tanker. Soviet Tanker writes, hey man, I was wondering what your opinion was on people who don't believe in God. Personally, my life has only improved since I stopped worrying if I was right in God's eyes. Now I don't know what to believe. I, I'm not the type of person that, that looks down on anyone that hasn't come to that understanding. Uh, not at all. I don't see you as any less of a person at all 
than someone who's sitting in the pew. Actually, just the opposite. A man who has not been convinced or is agnostic, you're, maybe you're on the fence, you're not sure. You don't disbelieve, but you're not willing to go there. You have, maybe you haven't seen the evidence that you need. I think oftentimes a man in that position, unless, as long as he doesn't stay there forever, ultimately you have to get to a point where you have to either, as my, my dad's dad used to say, you need to either, uh, no, I'm going to use vulgarity, crap or get off the pot, right? Make a decision. Do one or the other. That's the one thing that is, a, that is really an offense to man and to God is a, a, a fence sitter, someone that sits on the fence and, or someone that his decision goes with the political winds, doesn't really stand for anything, and just goes along with whatever, you know, just a milquetoast, mediocre man. Make a decision or don't make a decision, but get about doing it. might take you years, but there comes to a point where you've got, you've got to decide. You know, you've got, you've, got to, you've got to pick a side. God tells us, you know, I would rather you be hot or cold. But the fact that you are a fence-sitter, you're a milquetoast man, you're undecided, take a little here, take a little there, unwilling to commit to anything, you're an offense to me. I vomit you out of my mouth, as it's put in the King James Bible. He'd have more respect for you, for him, for, for the man that says, I don't believe in this, I haven't seen the evidence, and you follow your convictions, and so would I. I would rather have you as a neighbor, as, as an atheist, who had... Put the work in, had looked into it himself, had read the holy books, and came away with his own decision. This is not for me, or there's nothing to this. You and I could be friends. I wouldn't have any problem with that. I would never judge you. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't preach to you. If you had done that, and I respected that you had done your due diligence, and you weren't just going off some nonsense or something you'd been told or never really put the work in, you and I could be the best of friends. Actually, I would have more respect for you than for the milk toast man that thinks he's going to earn his way into the kingdom by never knowing Christ, but just putting his time in and taking up a pew and taking up the air of the church, to be honest with you. You know, Paul said something that was so profound to me. I think about it all the time. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. When he was going into preaching to the Gentiles, you know, there were members of the early church that would be frustrated that they wouldn't accept it. You know, why don't you? Well, maybe we should have God uh, do a great miracle or burn a few of them up to get them, to get them to do the right thing. And you know what Paul said? He said, you know what? Let every man be convinced in his own mind. Respect a man's intelligence and his decision. The gospel, to me, doesn't need, you don't need to beat people up. You don't need to shame people or make them feel worse than anything. The best thing that we have as followers of the way, of people of the book, is our testimony. And you don't need to share it unless asked. If someone asks you, you know, people will see. You will know them by their fruits. It happens to me all the time. You can see the relationship that Mrs. W. and I still have. We are still very much in love with each other. We're still newlyweds after being married for almost 20 years. You know, and I'm, I don't look as good as I used to look. She still looks the same to me, but uh, she still loves me nonetheless. But that's a powerful testimony, especially in a culture that doesn't have the ability or has such a high divorce rate. You start to stand out. God says you'll know them by their fruits. When you see the children, the way that you keep yourself, the way that you keep your home, it, it speaks to 
You know, you're, you're honoring God in all those things, and people pay attention to it. And, and they may, may know that you're Christians and didn't want to hear about it. And if you have always been kind to them and didn't preach to them and make them feel bad or berate them or Bible-thump them anyway, you know, then the most powerful testimony is just a life well-lived, trying to follow the commandments, trying, trying to do the right thing, you know, it comes out in the watch and people are watching. And that, that testimony of that life lived is, is the most powerful proof that God is real. And that's how you win people over. It's not by making them feel bad. I mean, there's a time and a place where God needs to grab you by the scruff and get your attention. And a loving father would do no less. If you have an errant child that's not doing something and he's running out into the street, you're, willing, you're about to get ran over by a car and die, you're willing to shout at him, scare him, even grab him, and paddle him a little bit if he's little, just, just so he understands, because he, he didn't understand the danger he was in. God will do that to us, and that's necessary, but that's not his ideal. That's not what he wants to do. He wants us to let us reason together. I want you to see through your own mind. I want you to make a conscious decision, make your own decision that this is the better way. And when you look at the Christian family the real Christian family, that's, they're not perfect, but they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to follow God. And you see the contrast between this family working together, putting God first, honoring God in all, all ways that they can, compared to with the degeneracy of the left and to those that are opposed to God. There's a, there's a, there's a contrast there. The Christians are a bright, shining light, an example, like little lighthouses all over the country that you can look to and to see that there's hope, that showed that, that that, that shine a light of, uh, they, they, they light up and show the contrast of the degeneracy um, of those that are against, working against the Father. So, you know, don't, the fact that you're asking these questions, Ryan, I'm sorry, Soviet tanker, the fact that you're asking these questions and that this is on your conscience, this is the time that you're most, the closest to God. If you're not just so hard-boiled and you've made up your mind and there's nothing to this, if you're wondering and you're seeking and you're asking, this is God working in your heart, and you've probably never been closer. And I envy people in this situation sometimes because you can be in the faith for a long time, and, and sometimes you, you take it for granted, and, and, and you know, God understands that, that you're mature now and, and that you need to kind of go forward trusting and you don't often get these great benefits that sometimes come from new converts, even miracles or extra measures of blessings that are poured out uh, for those that are, are new to the faith and you have that to look forward to. So the only thing that I would tell you is that before you make any decision, don't go off of what you think. Don't go off of what you've seen from other so-called Christians or the faith of your parents or grandparents. There are no coattails in the kingdom. Every man will be adjudged according to his own decision. Just because you had a family member that was faithful doesn't mean that that's going to give you any credit whatsoever. You're going to have to give an account to your God. So make sure, whatever decision you make, make sure that you know what it is that, that you're rejecting or know what it is that you're accepting because you've decided with your investigation, your prayers, um, that it is for you or not for you. That's all I would tell you. Shout out to the Soviet tanker. We have a super chat from Mr. Ryan Warren. Ryan's been with us for a month. Shout out to you. Ryan says, backpack 
like an army duffel bag that has a plate in the back and the top flap that if something happens, you can unclip it and flip it over your head. Yeah, that's that would be fine. Are you carrying an army duffel around as your EDC? Uh, are most people? That would be a good idea and that would work, but my question is, how many are our wives carrying an army duffel? What we want, a lot of those things are out there. What we want is, is something that's realistic for as many types of situations and as many types of people as possible. So for Proho, what is our need? Well, you know, we're not tactical, op we're not military operators. We need some common sense, something that is going to be very light, easy to employ, that we could put on kids, our wife, uh, ourselves. And I, I just don't see our kids or our wives carrying a military style ruck rack. Not that it's a bad idea, but I, I don't know that that's going the direction that we're trying to, to, to go here. Shout out to Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for your input. We have a super chat from Chris Hall. Chris Hall's been with us a month. Chris writes, I appreciate how you change with the times, religion or not. Cody helps the man on a mission. We can all come together on that. Yeah, we have to change. You know, the times have changed. I mean, that comes up all the time. You know, how come you don't do things like the things that you used to do? Well, you know, we, we've done those things. Can we belabor a point? Can we continue to do everything for, I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years. The world has changed a lot in 13 years. I think we can all agree. I've changed. I've learned a lot. I think the best thing that I can do right now is not another axe sharpening video, but building this community. We're building this community together, encouraging one another, getting one another ready for the second coming. I mean, when we look at the big picture of things, you know, what's more important? Teaching men how to get through di these difficult times, knowing that they're not alone, helping young men to make good decisions, that they don't choose mates that will destroy them and wreck them, that could ultimately bring them to ending themselves or have their children taken away from them or their finances destroyed or they're losing their home. I mean... We've moved on, you know, we've moved on from those times and, and we have a bigger supply here, you know, a, a bigger a mandate, a, a more important mission here. You know, you, we have to be able to be flexible, just like you said, um, changing with the times. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm touching on the point that you're making, but um, I mean, that's the way that, that's the way that I look at it. That's the way I look at it. Thank you, Chris. I was very generous of you. I sure appreciate that. We have a super chat from Arturo Hoguera. Hugera? Shout out to you, Arturo. He says, my, my dad is your age, and recently my mother filed for divorce. I've seen him very down lately. He has thought he has thought me everything I taught me everything I know. What can I do? Man, that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing. If you had, I, I can somewhat relate to that. If you have a, a father that's always been like the head of your household and, and your rock, um, and that, that's a, having a, this world is rough and there's no one going to give us anything. And, and it, it, the world gives zero Fs towards us. We, we, we all know that, but we always kind of have in the back of our mind that stability 
that comes from our father and the household that we grew up in and, and that relationship, you know, that, that consistency, that, that rock, that foundation is, is always very comforting. That you kind of know, even though you wouldn't do it, you kind of know in the background if everything went pear-shaped and went bad for me, I would have a fallback position. Having it, working with a net, so to speak. I would imagine, I'm, I'm not a trapeze artist, but I would imagine you would take, you take greater risks when there's a net than when there's not a net. And to see that net dissolved uh, through divorce and the one that you look to for advice and your father, that's an important role growing up, see him crumbling and not being the rock and not being the pillar that you've always relied upon, it kind of shakes your world. I didn't see that. I didn't have to go through the divorce you have to do. But when I saw when my dad started getting ill, and no longer capable to, to fill that role, um, I felt like I was. I felt like I was working without a net there for a while too. Still, kind of do to, to a certain extent. It's a difficult relationship too because it's it's very hard to see as a as as your father. It's going to be hard for him to see to take advice from a son, uh, even if you do have wisdom and you're right. That's just the way that it is. But it's not impossible. I remember it happened. I remember the distinct moment that the roles of, between me and my father were flipped. I mean, it wasn't a profound situation. It was just a conversation. It was over. It was over at his house, and Mrs. W and I would go and take the kids and would go in and visit and I would sit and visit my dad you know at that point his last few years was he was pretty much stuck down to his chair you know he couldn't walk around or move very much he was re really really crippled just didn't have the capabilities and he was just getting older older and tighter and and I always I had been over there many times and sat in that same chair and had the same conversations with him and he was always the one that had the the answers was always the one that was encouraging me, uh, you can do this, and giving me the advice that I needed, and, and it was a it was a father son relationship. He was my he was my superior, and I was you know I was subordinate to that for sure. At that one moment, when we were talking, and I had reached a moment in my life where you know I was making making more money than my dad had ever made. Um, I had my own, and, and it's, it wasn't about that. I'm just saying that there, these things are happening. That um, I had my own children. I had successfully navigated and, and shepherded um, a marriage for 15, 16 years. You know, and that's not nothing. Where I had finally received, not only did I receive, e my, my father saw me as an equal, but I realized at that moment that now it's my job to look after him. Where he let all of that go, where he was able to relax a little bit and know that he didn't have, no longer did he have to be the strong foundation of the family that everyone, the shoulders that everyone leaned upon, that he could now take a back seat or, or a passenger seat position and that now that I had proven and was capable to be able to take care of the problems 
that may come up in the family, and that burden was no longer upon him. And it just happened, and nothing was said about it, and he recognized it, I think, and I recognized it, I know, and it was a real shift in our relationship. It was just unspoken, but it was just something that just happened. It just happened on that couch that one time. I don't know if that's helpful to you, um, but maybe, I guess what I want to say to you, maybe that him going through this divorce, Artero, and I don't know what your relationship is, I think maybe maybe you need to go sit, just sit down and talk with him and, and just not have any judgments or anything. And maybe not, you don't even need to say anything, just, just be with him, just support him um, and tell him you love him. And, and maybe knowing that you are there and that he doesn't have to, you know, that he can depend on you a little bit, you know, maybe that will help. I don't know, man. It's a difficult thing to give advice on situations like that. The only thing that I can do, Artero, is just relay my personal situations and try to find the closest parallel I can to what it is that you and your dad are going through. Divorce is thrown around so casually without maybe fully understanding of how devastating it is. And it's, it's more devastating, gentlemen, to, to men, to us, than it is to the women. Women have, for right or wrong, they have the ability to switch sides and um, kind of pick up and just carry on, no problem. Um, you, we've all seen it. See a woman jump from one bed into another and seem to just seamly, seamlessly move into the position and not miss, not even miss a beat. But men, after a betrayal or a great loss like that with a mate that you've been with for so long, are not able to recover if, if ever. It just speaks to our ability. We are, we are much more of, of a loyal, we're, we're, there's more loyalty, I think, and more honor. Uh, and I think I know in us that we relationships mean more. They actually really mean something um, than they do to to women. I think. I'm sorry, brother. It's a hard thing to see your. It's a hard thing to see your dad in a in a weak position. It is. Um, it hurts the heart. It's. Uh, it's. It shakes your foundation. We have a member message from Gaelic Lands. Gaelic Lands has been with us for a month. Shout out to Gaelic Lands, who writes, Cody, I am now permanently, I'm a, I'm a permanently lapsed Catholic by choice. I find more wisdom and insight from your live streams than by attending church. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. You know, this isn't by choice. Um, I, I don't want, I, I, I didn't want this role. Uh, and I'm not fit for this role, to be honest with you. I mean, I every time I got, got to just pick someone else, you know. I want to follow someone. I want someone to, to, to show me the way. Uh, I'm not the one to be up here teaching anyone the way. I can barely get out of my, I can barely, barely handle it myself, and yet here we are. But that's, the, what, that's how he works. You know, God chooses the least, the most inappropriate people to do his work. And here's a perfect example. 
because he wants everyone to know that it is not me that has anything to offer. Uh, it's him, so that he's glorified. That's why he chooses the ineffectual, he chooses the weak, he chooses the inappropriate, so that we don't gather the glory into ourselves. I know my character, and I know my nature, and I know my default positions, and it would be, <laughs> knowing myself, it would be impossible for me um, to, get up, get, to get a big ego about having some spiritual gift or being uh, a great teacher of, of, of the Word. I mean, it's laughable, it's ridiculous to even think about it, yet here we are doing it. So it's, I'm humbled, God humbles me by putting this responsibility upon me. But that's what the future is going to be, I believe. I think that's a, that's a powerful testimony, Gaelic lands, coming out of the mother church and realizing that the mother church and many of the Protestant churches have lost their way and that God is removing his spirit from them. Was it there at one time? That probably was. Is it there now? It doesn't seem like it. The work, if the church is unwilling to do the work, then it falls upon the layman, and here we are. So, we don't have our, the ability to all get together, especially men. Men can't, you, you can't have an exclusive organization for men anymore. That would not be allowed, not in this country. So this is what we have. And uh, God is working through these channels as well. My prayer <laughs> is that uh, I don't do anything to bring reproach upon his name, which I constantly do. I spend more time on asking for forgiveness for my big mouth and my ego uh, than anything else. But nonetheless, we move forward. Thank you, Gaelic. That's a, that's a very encouraging thing for me to hear. I appreciate that. And our friend Gypsy Jeeper, wisdom is the skillful application of truth. Boy, isn't that the truth. Well, wise words. The gypsy jeeper is obviously professional homeowner grade. Thank you. Thank you, brother. We have a new member, Mr. JB. Welcome, our newest member. And a super chat from Jerry Gentry. He's been with us for a month. Jerry writes, to help stimulate some bit of stress while shooting at a shot timer, they are an affordable tool that will help immensely. Yeah, I, ha you know, I haven't done that before. I know a lot of guys use shot timers. I watch Lucas from T-Rex Arms. He, he seems to shoot. He's a good shooter. Uh, he does that. That's, a, that's good advice. I don't have one personally, but uh, that's good advice. What I do is ammo is expensive and valuable. You know, I'm not, I don't shoot it like massive quantities like I used to. Uh, but what I've always done in my training is I always interject dummy rounds. So I'll go out and like, okay, I'm going to shoot four magazines, but I don't go out there and just dirt shoot, right? Mag dump. I work through drills. I try to take advantage of the, you know, of the 50 rounds I'm going to shoot or so. So one shot, two shot, three shot drills at the most. But when I'm loading up the magazines, I get the rounds, the box of rounds, pour them out, and I'll throw in five, six, seven dummy rounds. And I'll also load in just a couple, three or four empty cases randomly. I'm not looking. I'm just punching them in the magazines. I don't really know. I mean, you forget, you know, mix them up. Put them in the mag pouches, and you know they're in there, but you don't know when they're going to come about. And you've got two problems. You have, you have the plastic dummies, which are tap rack bang, easy to clear. 
And then you have just the empty cartridges that tend to, to pose mo more problems. They get, you can get jams, get stuck in there. So that's what I do to introduce stress. We have a member message from Hanky Mountain Garage. Hanky's been with us for 26 months. Welcome. Welcome. He says, I won the marriage lottery 21 years ago. Tradcon, dental hygienist, and we're each other's first love. Thank you from rural Virginia. Yep, there you go. Right there, more precious than rubies. That's a man who, 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 who found a good woman. I can relate. I'm the same way. I'm um, only a couple years, one or two years behind you. Mrs. W and I are coming up on 20. Actually, this is a good, this is a good time to bring this up. I have an announcement. I have an announcement. Um, I haven't told anyone yet. So maybe, did I bring this up? Uh, so next, next week, uh, Mrs. W and I are going to go on a vacation, just her and I, uh, for a few days. Four, four days, I think it is. A great mystery date. I've planned it all. We're going out of state, uh, and we are going to um, have, we haven't had a vacation in a decade. <laughs> maybe longer, maybe 20 years. I don't know if we've ever had a vacation because I've always been self-employed and grinding. So I took care of everything. She doesn't know where we're going. I told her what she's going to need to wear, what, what type of things to bring, you know, because that matters to our, our women. They want to have, have appropriate clothing, and that's all she knows about. So I will be gone for a couple days next week. So just so you know, I'll make an announcement. I'll post it online, so, so you're not, not looking for us. But we'll be back. We have our, our friend Andrew Rouse, like House, is back in the, in the chat. Good to see you back, Mr. Andrew. Thank you for your generosity. We appreciate that. He says, hey, Wrangler Star, what's your opinion on how to use, how, you, how we used to dress in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, etc.? Would you like to see Sunday Best come back? Yes. Yes. I, I have a huge problem. It's deplorable, uh, the state of dress. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just turning into an old boomer, you know. Get out of my old oh, kids these days, and all this. I hate to, I hate to even get into this, but there's the casual dress and everything is is fine. Be comfortable, be comfortable. There's no reason to have to impress people. I understand that and I get that, but there's a time and place, right? There are certain standards that maintained. If I were to go to a church that a pastor or a youth pastor gets on the pulpit gets up on that pulpit before God's people in cargo shorts and the latest trendy drip, I'm walking out. I'm not having that. I mean, that's just asinine. I, I don't get that whatsoever. I understand being relatable to the Utes, but we have to maintain some certain standards. I mean, when you, if you were to go and meet a foreign dignitary or an important person or the CEO of your company for a steak dinner or the president or what have you, are you showing up in that sort of attire? Or are you going to be wearing your best? So how much more, when we go to God's house, how much more should we be maintaining those standards? That's all I'm going to say. Goodness. I mean, it's those youth pastors in the megachurches and their, the, the fade and the cargo shorts up on, I mean, it is... It's deplorable. It's absolutely deplorable. It just, I would not have that. I would stand up and shake my fist in righteous indignation, and I would take my family and leave. I've walked out of churches before. I've, I've grabbed my family, and, and we've left. 
um, because of inappropriate sermons or inappropriate attire or just inappropriate things um, that were taking place up on the pulpit. I've done it more than once. I have a super chat. Thank you, Andrew. Good question. Yeah, good question. I have a super chat from Micah Ramsey. Ramsey? Ramzig? He says, have you ever heard of the evangelistic William Marion Branham? His sermons seem to be similar to some of your beliefs. Thank you for, thank you. I have not heard of him. Is he an old time preacher or is he a new guy? I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. William Marion Branham. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I'm not going to look it up. I might as well just be honest about it, Micah. I'm not interested in, in, in sermonizing from preachers or, or men anymore, to be honest with you. I, I've sat through, my whole life I've sat through it. Um, I, I'm just not interested in it. I, I, I want the genuine. I want the source. I would rather my time spent reading the Word of God, inspired directly from Him, and receiving interpretation through the Holy Spirit, my own understanding and my own study, than the sermonizing of another man. That might be my age. Is it appropriate? Yeah, of course it is. If you're new in the faith and you don't have any understanding, but you're also in a position where don't put, any, don't put too much trust in them. I don't know, man. I'm just, I, I, I'm just over it, to be honest with you. I sat in sermons. I, I sat in, in churches for years where the same old tired sermons came round and round. Same old canned sermon, reading off the same paper. You know what? I just don't know that it's valuable. I think it's more valuable. It's more valuable to me. I think it's more valuable to a lot of you of receiving and talking about real-time problems that we're experiencing and trying to apply them to our understanding of Scripture and talking about it together. I think that that's more valuable. I think that's, that's a value. Is it a value to sit through and listen to another canned sermon from another guy sermonizing up on a pulpit? I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm not seeing it the way you see it, but I've had it. I've had a belly full. I don't need it anymore. I think sitting down, having a conversation, discussing current events and topics that are affecting us right now, that are affecting our children, that we're struggling with, adapting. We're not... There's nothing canned here. We're not bringing around the old sermon about, you know, the, the, the virgins and, and uh, the olive tree and such, you know, that, that may have been applicable when it was written 20 years ago, but today has gotten, gotten a little bit stale and no longer relevant. I think that the work being done here, sitting down, not having a head, there's no one head, there's no headship here. We're all equals here. We're all created in the image of God, not one more important than the other. You know, it very well may be that one of you may judge me. You know, if I don't make it, if I fall and lose my crown, I understand that. The least of you could be sitting, could be highly favored among the Father. And we'll sit, and you will, we will all, if we make it, those of us who do make it, will sit in judgment of, of men and angels. So it's a, we have to give each other the respect that we deserve. And the idea, I never liked a man having some sort of authority given to him by another man, now he's the only one that can crawl up on this elevated position and talk down to the unwashed masses. I reject that. If we were to teach, if I were to have a church, 
it would be a round table type of thing. People would come in, there would be no raised plat platform, there would be no one elevated above. If I wouldn't have a problem with there being a person in charge, someone needs to be in charge that would be maybe where he's, uh, his job is to, to, to study and, and to pray like, like it was set up in the early days. And I don't, I'm not opposed to pro providing for a man like that, provided he is doing that work so that he can bring understanding, interpretation, or just have a framework of study for the group. I don't have a problem with that. You know, that's, there, we have a precedent for that in the early church. But even the early church workers, you know, Paul was one among the greatest of the disciples. You know, he didn't just quit working. He was a tent maker. Not all, he, he continued to work and earn his keep as well as teach. So this idea of, of putting these, these men in ivory towers and keeping them in luxury and comfort is, that's over, man. That's over. I'm done with it. And I think you, I think you guys are done with it as well. This is what we have to work with. And this, I believe, is how God is going to spread the word. We're reaching... Think about the reach. I mean, there's 500 of us here. I think a lot of pastors would be pretty thrilled to have 500 people day in and day out in their congregation, but there's actually more because people are coming and going, right? But then the clips go up, and the, the live stream is up for people to watch that will ultimately get 10, 20, 30, 50, maybe 100,000 views. So just because we're not sitting in, a, on a, in an ivory tower up on a pulpit or a, have a, a building... It uh, doesn't mean that the work is not getting done and getting, getting done and spreading to a much greater audience than could ever be possible in an old country church. We have a super chat from Eric W. Shout out to you. Any fanny pack with soft panels overlapped on the backside that can be pulled up, wrapped around the back of your neck, and connect at the fanny again? Yeah, I think that's kind of on the concept we were talking about the sling bag. Yeah, that's similar. I, yeah, that's a good idea, too. Yeah, good idea. That's a, a fanny pack, though. The problem is that's a very small panel. Even if we take, like, if we take a big fanny pack or sling bag, I mean, this is going to be maximum right here. And actually, this is actually too big for a fanny pack. This is for a sling bag. But if you took this a third of this off, that'd be fine and all, but there's not, not going to be a lot of coverage there. Not that it's not valuable, but I think we need to stick to the full body, the sappy shape, and, and work with that as kind of a, of a starting point. Thank you. Good idea. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for your super chat. And we have a super chat from our friend Hanky Mountain Garage. He's been with us for two years now. Shout out to you, Hanky. Welcome. He says, I meant to say my wife is 21. Oh, and I'm 25. <laughs> I'm sorry. 21 and 25. Not 21 years of marriage. Young men, don't give up. Keep fighting and find a good woman from rural Virginia. I'm sorry about that, Hanky. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, there's a young brother that's winning, getting it done. 21 and 25. How, much, how many of us old ones wouldn't like to be back in his shoes for a, for a while, huh? With all our aches and pains. Well, it's good to have you here, Hanky. Thank you for your generosity, and thank you for giving encouragement uh, to all of the young men that are struggling. It's a hard time for our young man right now. And I, for one, will be praying for you guys, especially, especially you guys.
We're going to need you guys desperately. All right. Well, that we are at the end of the Super Chats. It's probably a good time to shut it down. Thank you all, beloved. Thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for your generosity and all of the good con con comments. And uh, I appreciate that. Please pray for my family. Pray for me and my family. We will be praying for you. And we'll see you guys in the next one.